Welcome to Health Hats, learning on the journey towards best health. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege living in a food oasis who can afford many hats and knows a little bit about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. Most people wear hats one at a time, but I wear them all at once. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. A word for 2020. Narcissist. Not the way you think. Pain is the ultimate narcissist. When below the pain threshold, I can think and function. Above the threshold, pain rules all. Jealous. Perhaps podcasting about chronic pain helps me keep pain below threshold. Perhaps examining pain intimately helps me stay mindful and grateful that my body speaks to me. Can you imagine if it didn't speak? No sensation? We are in control together, spirit and body. Perhaps exploring other people's experiences helps me stay connected to friends and strangers and the wonder of their tools to manage pain that could be in my toolbox or yours. What a gift. My guest, Penny Cowan, knows and shares more pain management tools than anyone I know. Penny Cowan is the founder and chief executive officer of the American Chronic Pain Association, ACPA. She is a person with chronic pain and established the ACPA in 1980 to help others live with the condition. The ACPA provides peer support and education and pain management skills to people with pain and their families. The ACPA also builds awareness about chronic pain among professionals, decision makers, and the general public. If you have chronic pain, your life will improve if you check out the ACPA website. Penny Cowan, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. We just met, but I've been a fan of yours for years. Really not so much you, because I didn't know who the master behind the scenes was. But I discovered your site. I'm thinking maybe I got diagnosed like 10 years ago when I was trying to uh, manage my own way. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is so cool. When Ting Pao introduced us virtually, I was so excited to get this introduction. So anyway, so I'll stop fawning and we can get on with this. Thank you. That's nice to hear that it was that helpful. So thank you very much. Oh, good. So how do you introduce yourself usually like in a social situation? How do you introduce yourself? I'm Penny. Okay. That's it. And if somebody wants to know a little bit about what you do. Hi, Penny. Nice to meet you. My name's Danny. What do you do? That's a hard one for me to answer because I see myself as just me as Mm -hmm. Penny. I don't see myself as this CEO of this international organization and all of that. I just say I'm Penny, but if they ask me what I do, mm-hmm. then I will talk. I really focus a lot on pain management and education and teaching people how to better manage their pain. 
And and that's really what I do. I could go in and it depends on what they ask me next, Mm -hmm. what I would then say. It depends on, you know, if their person was paying, if they have a family member, if they have Mm -hmm. someone who might be, have questions about it. A lot of times people go, oh, that's fine. A lot of times I get jokes. Oh, I live with a chronic pain. Those I just go, okay, fine. And I I let it go. (laughs) Yeah. So you've been doing this a while. So how did you get to the point of starting something like this? And what was the beginning like? Actually, I've been doing this for 40 years now. It started after I left the pain management program. And for the first six years of my pain, I really tried to do absolutely everything to get rid of the pain, saw the best of the best. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the time. So we had a good medical center. And I kept going from one doctor to another, the same story that so many people living with pain you hear from. And I kept hearing, in the end, you're just going to have to learn to live with it. And finally, after all that time, they gave me a diagnosis and sent me to the Cleveland Clinic. And I saw a rheumatologist there, and he did a bunch more tests and said, you're just going to have to learn to live with it. But he had this afterthought that there was a new physician there who said he could help people manage pain. And I thought, no way in heck are you ever going to help me to live with this pain. I, I've tried everything and nothing works. So I actually agreed to go to the pain program to satisfy my husband that that's enough's enough, no more doctors, no more looking, just let me be. And it was after graduating from the program, realizing that in fact, people can learn how to live with pain, not take it away. It's not about taking away your pain. It's about learning to live with it. And a couple of things happened while I was there. The first one is I realized I wasn't the only person in the world with pain. There mm-hmm. were so many more people who were living with pain. Before that, I had isolated so much that I really thought I was the only person in the world. And then what they taught me was just too good to keep to myself. And I knew I had to tell someone else. It's like a Mm -hmm. good secret you have to tell someone else. Mm -hmm. But I think the main reason that I started the organization is because I will never forget how much pain takes away from a person, how controlling it is of our lives and how it just takes away who you are. And you become this thing that's controlled by pain. Every thought, word, deed, emotion all goes through your pain. And so I had this huge fear driving home that in that it was an inpatient program. And in that controlled environment, I could manage my pain. They taught me how to do it. But what was going to happen when I went home? Mm-hmm. I had two small children. All the work I had to do was could I still do it? And so I had this huge fear of falling back into the patient role. And so I knew the only way to maintain my wellness was to continue to do what I had learned. And the only way to do that is to share it with others and get that positive reinforcement, continue Mm -hmm. talking about it. So that's how I started the American Chronic Pain Association. Wow. Back in your youth. Yes. (laughs) The thing that drew me to your work was this idea of tools and a toolbox. And I'm a nurse and I, and my experience has been in physical rehabilitation, home care, 
intensive care, and behavioral health. And I'm very attracted to this idea, and it's helped me in my career as a person with a chronic illness and chronic pain, that I need tools in my toolbox. And that it's an experiment, and it's a never-ending experiment. And I feel like one of the things that I like of your website is that there's that section where you just have all these tools. Here, I'll tell you the things that I, I use the most. I probably use the video, the car with floor, four flat tires, the most externally to share, to say, if I want to turn somebody on to your site, I'll say, look at this. If you like this, you'll really like the site. But it's just, it's so short. And anyway, and then you have the pain log app, which I used for a while, and then I didn't really need it. But it was good to have that frame. It helped organize my thinking. And then you have that art of pain management for people who are like, they want to get into the nuts and bolts. That's a, I find that to be a, a good, and then the proactive communication kit, I've like tried to give to some clinicians. And I can't tell you that I've been really successful because I feel like they just pat my head and go, yeah, yeah. But I think it's a really nice uh, clinician tool. But my question for you is, so you have this whole slew of tools. So what are the ones that you think people use the most and why? Okay, so the car with four flat tires, I think is what captures people's attention because and I'll tell the story only because a lot of your listeners may not know what that means. Yeah. And so it's, that's how we describe a person with pain. It's like a car with four flat tires. The problem is everyone's expectation is all I need is one simple thing and I'll get rid of my pain. And so yeah, that right. usually, okay, put air in one of my tires, just give me a pill and I'm good to go. And it puts air in one of our tires and it may give us the 30 or 40% relief it's designed to do. But the problem is we still have three flat tires. Mm -hmm. So we still ask ourselves, what else do we need? For every person, though, it will be different because we're all so different and our needs are different. Mm -hmm. It could be physical therapy. It could be nutritional guidance, maybe counseling, maybe mm -hmm. acupuncture, a support group. It can be a number of different things. And when we get all four tires filled, it's our responsibility to take care of the car. We don't take it back to the dealer and say, wash my windshield or fill her up. That's our job. If something goes wrong with a car, then we take it in for a checkup. You see, it's a combination mm -hmm. of treatments and therapies with the person with pain at the center that gets you up and going again. Mm -hmm. and, and the problem with so many people is that they'll put air in that tire, and if it doesn't give them the, the appropriate relief that they're expecting, they let the air out and put something else in, or they overinflate the tire. So that sort of mm -hmm. people tried everything, and that's where I was when I went to the clinic. Is I tried everything, and they kept emptying and filling the same tire. That was mm -hmm. the problem. They put it all together. So I think the car with four flat tires is probably a good introduction to the mm -hmm. basics of management. But I think one of the main tools, and this is one that has been translated and validated, even it was just validated in Czechoslovakia was our quality of life scale. And, oh. and I 
always hated when people ask me on a scale of zero to 10, what's your pain? Zero being no pain, 10 being the worst. And I thought 10 doesn't even come close to what it's doing to my life because it wasn't yeah. as much about the pain as it was my whole life yes. and my whole experience. So I thought we really, it's not about the pain. It's about what it's doing to us. So we needed to measure our function, which really is interprets mm -hmm. it in so many ways. So we flipped the scale. Zero means you can't get out of bed all the way up to 10 where you can, you know, do near normal, anything you want, act, you know, normal. And so each of those numbers now has a function involved with it. And that really helps people and clinicians. And I will tell you this now that there are many clinicians that have used that tool over and over again. They mm -hmm. really like it. So that's one of the tools. Mm -hmm. um, the other one, as you mentioned, was the pain log, which is my favorite tool. And the reason for that is everyone thinks it's just about the pain, but it's not. It isn't. There's oh. so many things that, that impact that pain score. So yes. you'll see all of our graphical tools, we still have the zero to 10 pain scale because that's what providers have to use to chart their charts. However, other things also impact our pain score, our stress, our exercise, our activity, our sleep, the fear of the pain, which is the biggest controlling factor, mm -hmm. uh, medication is prescribed, the side effects, constipation, our sexual activity, our appetite, our mood, how isolated we become, how much alcohol we consume, how worried we are about finances, and we've even added smoking to that. Mm -hmm. And so that allows people to begin to, to track all of those things and then equate them with where their pain score is. But what's nice about it, because it's interactive, is they can begin to see every time their pain spikes, what are those components that contributed to that? Mm -hmm. And the nice thing is that they can share it with their providers and their providers can look and begin to see, okay, so you're not sleeping well, you're isolating, your mm -hmm. mood is not as good. Maybe it's because you're depressed and maybe that's where we need to focus or it's because every time they exercise their pain spikes. So maybe we need to get them to some physical therapy and see what they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. It just, it's a whole picture that, that allows them to look. Because when you go to the doctor and they ask you, how are you doing? You tell them how you are today. But you don't remember how you were a week ago or three weeks ago or three months ago. When right, you saw right, it. right. What happened in between. So by keeping that pain log, you can now give them a whole history of exactly what happened and how mm -hmm. you felt. So that's why that's my favorite tool. Yeah. And then my other tools, there's a lot of other ones. There's the fibro and there's the one for cluster headaches and migraines. Mm -hmm. But the pain maps are also, I think, extremely useful. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. The pain maps. Pain, the pain map. maps, yeah, yeah. Where they can point and click where their pain is, how it feels, and the intensity of the pain. And they can go front, back, right, left. We have them for our head, our back, uh, diabetic peripheral neuropathy, fibromyalgia, and, and neuropathic pain. I can remember trying to think of the best way to describe my pain to my providers. And the problem with that is the more I thought about my pain, the more I suffered. Yeah. That's not helpful. That's not at all helpful for anyone. Mm -hmm. So having those pain maps and being able to actually print out a picture of your pain in advance of your appointment is like a picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah. So it really helps validate which people need is the validation of their pain 
but it also helps the provider see that this is where their pain is, this is how it feels. And then using some of the other tools, it's really helpful. And the only other one I would say is really helpful, and it was my first graphical tool I ever did, was the care card. And that's how to help people take their medications. And it's it's graphical, take it morning or night or what time of the day, and there's little empty faces of clocks that they can put their hands Mm on with food and empty stomach, things to avoid, possible side effects, how to store it, dispose of it. We get those medications and we just really, do we even hear what our provider's telling us? Because our visits to our providers are so emotionally charged that we go in one ear, not the other. And then we go to the pharmacist and they say the same kind of thing. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you just want to get out of there because people are standing around and you don't want to talk to them. And you want them to hear what the pharmacist is saying. And then you go home and you look at it and you go, I don't. So we were getting a lot of calls from people who wanted to know what their medication was for and why uh-huh. are they. And so we always tell them to go back to the prescriber, go talk to the pharmacist. And I knew that we needed to do something to help them. So we did September Pain Awareness Month back in 2001. We started that. We called it Partners for Understanding Pain. And we one year we did toolkits for pharmacists. So we worked with the American Pharmacists Association and did a toolkit for all of their members. And, and after I designed the tool, I remember showing it to them thinking they're probably going to laugh at me and actually loved it. And we've actually done, I think three now projects with the American Pharmacists Association using that tool because they really, so they, they use, I'd like to see it on all bags, pharmacy bags. Yeah. It's way better than the, the drug inserts. And I know in my career as a nurse and as a uh, quality management professional and in writing my thesis for my master's in public health, uh, I fell in love with pharmacists. Like the, the amount of knowledge that they had that was relevant to me, whether I was trying to help other people or trying to help myself, has, I can't overstate uh, how much help that's been. Okay, you've done this for 40 years, but so what do you feel like your next tool is to develop? What's on your, what's it, what's in your queue that you're thinking about or your wish list? Where do you see it going? You don't Uh, seem like somebody who's happy to sit at one spot. No, and I'm not because there's so much more we can do. And it all, unfortunately, a lot of it depends on funding. Yes, okay saying that because we truly are a nonprofit. But I think one of the things, actually they're starting to film today, and I've this is the first time we've ever done a video that I've not been there, but because of COVID, I, I'm not traveling. But we're doing an exercise video for people who have COVID or who are at home because they can't get out, who are living with chronic pain that couldn't go to their physical therapist, couldn't get to their acupuncture, couldn't get to their gyms, couldn't get to the swimming pools. What do they do at home? So we're working with therapists and we're actually doing a a video, three parts with different levels of exercise. That's great. I'm looking forward to it. Today. So that's one of them. We've been working with a lot of other things. I would love to do more work on back pain. Okay. do that i would love to do more work on arthritis and osteoarthritis that is something that many people are dealing with we have a program called growing pains for kids it's a separate website it's all Mm -hmm. interactive i would like to be able to connect more with 
with kids and teach them better body mechanics, better nutrition, all of those kinds of things that might in the end prevent pain as they go forward, especially yeah. something like arthritis when they get injured, you know, the sports injuries. Let's really look at that and see what, what the yeah. problem is when we send them back on the field and, and working with coaches for kids, for these youth teams. I think that would be really important to educate them. I also would like to do more work with, we have this series called Pathways Through Pain. And there are, it. we have what we call our 10 steps from patient to person, which is not like a 12-step program. They're just the basics of pain management. The first two steps, though, you have to do the acceptance of the pain and then getting involved for people to actually get involved in the recovery process. Yeah. And so we've done uh, goals and we've done priorities. We'd love to do a more extensive one on exercise. We'd like to do one on emotions and pain. Mm -hmm. I'd love one on basic rights, just people's oh. basic rights. People living with pain, quite often, it takes away our self-esteem. It takes away our, our sense of worth because yeah. we always equate our value by what we can accomplish in a day. So these basic rights that usually when we start a new group, I'll tell them that's where you start. It's like chapter five or six or something in the workbook that we use. Start there. Yeah. And let's how are these people? Let's let them realize that they are just as equal and pain has not changed who they are at all. Too many yeah. people identify themselves by their pain. Yeah. That's why I hate the terms chronic pain patient or pain patient, because that's not who we are. We're people living with pain, but we're yeah. so much more than just our pain. Yeah. So that's one thing. And I would like to change that terminology, get rid of those phrases. Yeah. It's working. I can see it. Every time I read it in the literature, I have to smell when they call you know, a person with pain or a patient with pain. I don't want to read chronic pain patient or pain patient anymore. Yeah. I, don't want to, I want them to recognize that we're people like anyone else, and the pain is not what defines us. There's so much more to us than just our pain. I think for me, a really big point was and it went both with the MS and with pain, is, look, I love myself. And let's just hang on to that. Okay, now what? You know, so this is me. I need a better understanding of it. That's sort of, since I like to write, I made me, like, realize that in Greenland, there's 200 words for snow. Okay, so there's there must be, like, trying to think about how to be creative about describing it. And so, you know, and it felt to me like the more I could get in touch with, this is what I'm experiencing. This is how I can describe it. Just made me feel more, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to motor on. Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Use Abridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com. Or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. Mm -hmm.
other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is that in my work now, the one thing, and it, I think it came from, it came to a head with this whole COVID pandemic, is that we have an epidemic of mistrust, which led me into a better understanding of characteristics of trust, including uh, health equity and institutional racism. And just thinking about how those monster issues play on health in general. But how do you, here, let me tell you one other little story and then I'm going to ask your take. So, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, I, I worked with a young lady who had sickle cell. And we became really good friends because we were both dealing with chronic illness. And so we bonded over the management of that. And her struggles were, and, and she was a, uh, her family was from Nigeria. And when she moved away from her regular health team, she couldn't go and get relief without like profound discrimination as a drug-seeking person, even though she had sickle cell. And it really opened my eyes to, we as individuals can do a lot for ourselves, but there's this societal part of it, this bias, this discrimination, how does that, and you're being involved in this for all these years, how does that come up in your work? It comes up a lot. People are judged because of their people with pain as lazy, all of them. I mean, those kind of things, trying to get out of work. All They're also quite often labeled as drug seekers, which mm -hmm. is, I think, what exactly what you're saying. And I think that the whole issue of opioids and that has really advanced that. But I think the biggest problem with pain, sickle cell, fibromyalgia, low back pain, any of them, is that they're all invisible. You can't see them. Mm -hmm. And so how do you believe someone is in that much pain when they look perfectly normal? So that's the first thing we see and our mm -hmm. eyes are telling us they look normal. And if you think about it, not every day, even if you have the worst pain you can imagine, not every day is a 10. Right. We have fives, we have threes, we have eights. It's up and down all the time. And so our level of function goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down. And that's what is so very confusing to everyone around us. They see us one day we're able to work and the next day you can't do anything. And the problem is it doesn't only confuse them, it confuses us as well. Okay. You know, how can this be? How can this be that it's so confusing? And part of the problem, at least for a person with pain, is because we don't listen to our bodies. We feel that first ouch, especially on a good day. We're going to keep pushing and we're going to keep pushing because we have to prove our value and our worth to everyone around us. We have to let them know that we are valuable and we still can contribute. We can still do this. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the problem. We don't listen to our bodies. If we would just stop and begin to tell our body how, you know, relax, use the relaxation techniques, use the stress management. So that's why all those combinations together 
are so very important, but there's a huge amount of stigma associated with pain. More than anything, I think, because it is invisible and you can't see it. And you and there's no way to measure it, smell it, taste it. There's nothing you can do to really prove if a person's a six and eight or ten or whatever, which all those numbers are, you know, what they right. are. <laughs> so interesting. This problem is that we believe what we see. You can see Much. somebody broken arm that's part of it we don't have those what should i be asking you that i'm not what should you be asking me i think one of the things that people don't think about are the impact it has on family members and okay. those around and the caregivers and so for three years i actually interviewed family members and even a couple kids and I asked them all these questions about living with a person with pain because I know exactly what it's like to live with pain. I have no clue what it's like to live with someone who is living with pain. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine. It's got to be really difficult. But what really struck me, I think the first thing that struck me is I thought I was talking to people living with pain because there was only one difference between a family member and a person with pain. And that is the family does not feel the physical pain. But everything else is the same. The confusion, the frustration, the anger, the doubt, all of those things are exactly the same. So I think if we're really going to help the person living with pain, we can't forget about the families. And what I heard from some of the kids were that they misinterpreted that pain that their parent was feeling as a punishment for something they must have done wrong. Yeah, I can relate to that. So we need to be able to explain to our children why things are there. I mean, we need to be able to have that conversation. And I think that's just as true. And it goes back to why did I develop all those graphical tools? Because I wanted a meaningful conversation with healthcare providers. They don't speak the same language as we do. Mm -hmm. We don't, they don't, we don't understand what they're telling us. So let's mm -hmm. try to bring that together and bridge the gap. But I think family and caregivers are the same way. We need to be able to have a communication with them. We don't know how to do that mm -hmm. because if you think about it, with a well spouse, they have to, to maybe take on all the jobs that the family, that the person with pain can't do anymore. Maybe they get half of the income that they used to have, but yet they still have to go to work. They have to come home, cook meals, take care of the kids, take care of the house, take care of the yard. They have to do it all. It's exhausting. So we, I wrote the family manual, but then, because I know people don't read, we actually converted that to a three-part video series. And that's on our website, and it's free. It's called Family Matters. And it's an amazing video that, that took us quite a bit to design. We actually got a, our, we won an award for that video, Family Matters. And it's on our website, which all of the tools we've talked about are actually on our website, and they're all free to be used, any of them. We have videos on naloxone what is naloxone mm -hmm. you know how do you, how do you recognize an opioid overdose and what do you do obviously call 911 first and then how to administer naloxone mm -hmm. uh, i have one uh, this is another topic that people really talk about but it comes along with many people who are living with pain and even other medications as well but opioid induced constipation oh so yeah that's a big one. Oh my god and we have a graphical tool that we designed so people don't even talk to their provider about it. We did a survey and we know that they don't, they'll struggle 
and until they're the worst they could possibly be before they even talk about it. And so we designed a tool to help people. It's a graphical tool. All they have to do is circle the different things, whether the amount of opioids that they take is prescribed as, as needed, the water they drink, fiber, all those things that, that impact the laxatives they use, the bowel movements they have during the week. All of those things are on this graphical tool. They can just hand that to their provider and they don't have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And they know that there's a problem. So that, and then we did a video of mm-hmm. that. But I, I wanted to get back to the other one. You talked about pharmacists. Yeah. So we did a video and, and it's a very long one that we did. It's probably more than the five minutes. It may be six or seven with the American Pharmacists Association on why go to a pharmacist? And oh, yeah, that's a good one. They had, it's called taking care of the amount of education they have, what they are qualified to do and how to help you. So they really are, because people don't talk about it, but they're part of yes. the treatment team that we don't, too many people don't think about using them. Yeah. And I think the other pieces, the nurses, and I always call them the worker bees, because they're really the ones that talk and listen to you the most. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. The only other thing I probably wanted to mention is that we've started the World Patient Alliance. And that's to bring people together. Because if you look at pain, it encompasses every disease there is. Because it's all uh, associated with pain. And that's Mm -hmm. usually the reason people go to providers. So I knew that. And we had lots of people from other countries starting our support groups. I and mean, we had two groups in Russia. So our, our materials have been translated in a number of different languages. But to really reach people worldwide, which because our world is getting much smaller. So we have started what we call the World Patients Alliance, which is an organization of a number of different patient groups. So our steering committee, our, our board of directors, the founders, are from here in the U.S., there's two of us, and there's from Peru, Pakistan, Poland, and Uganda. So I think it's important to realize that pain's not exclusive here to the U.S., but it is a global issue. And yes. so we need to look at it as worldwide. And it's I was just talking to somebody in Australia yesterday, and their issues are exactly the same, and their yeah. frustrations are exactly the same as ours. So people always think we get calls and they say, I'm going to go to Canada, that healthcare is better. And then people in Canada calls and say, I'm coming to America. Says, the grass looks always greener on the other side. But I think it's, it's, it's important for us to focus on what we have and how we have to do and what we can do with that. So I always talk to people about looking at your abilities, not your disabilities, not mm-hmm. what you can't do anymore. I'm with you on that. What you can still do. What are your yeah. abilities? We spend a lot of time on that as well. So that's all I wanted to say. All right. That's great. Thank you. Life with chronic pain can feel like a stranger in a strange land. Whether you have the pain, live with someone who experiences chronic pain, or treat people with chronic pain. You all have much in common and little in common. The more we can speak the same language, use the same descriptors and shortcuts, and understand each other's dreams and pressures, the better we function as a team. The moment of acute pain is not the time to align and learn. Pain consumes everything. It's all about the pain right now. 
Rather, when we are below threshold and can think and function, that's the time to learn, listen, teach, and align. Penny Cowan's American Chronic Pain Association is for the whole team when below threshold. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources on my website, www.health-hats.com slash pod. Please subscribe or contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.